0: So 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we are going to read from verse 12 all the way through the end of the chapter, which is verse 42. It says, And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then sin and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David From the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he had loved him as he had loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was at in hand, and remained beside the stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, The arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as the other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not... Now know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, sin and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no more food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went into the field to the appointment, to the appointment with David and with him, a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called out after the boy and said, Is not the arrow behind you or beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because We have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Amen. So the title of this sermon is Morning by Morning. And you'll get my reference to that as I as I go along in this sermon and and talk about what's going on here. Um, but before we get to this week's passage, I want to take time to look at last week a little bit to catch us up, to give us some better context. Last week we covered 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And there we saw that David was having a difficult time, difficult time dealing with the constant persecution that he was, um, he was experiencing from the hand of Saul. And Saul here is, is just adamant that he wants David gone. And, and he, this passage here really points that out. We see it explicitly uh, how, how Saul's anger against David has reached a, a pinnacle to the point where he, he just wants to get rid of him. And we, not only today, but we've seen this kind of like building up, building up through the years as we've been marching through 1 Samuel. In the, in the matter of three years, we, saw, we, we see that Saul attempted to kill David nine times. Nine times. One time Saul tried to arrange for David's death by sending him into battle with the Philistines. And mind you, the Philistines were David's, they were his enemies. And he was, he was willing to use them, uh, he was willing to use, Saul was willing to use the Philistines to kill David. Uh, one time Saul traveled to hunt David down himself uh, to kill him. Three times Saul attempted to kill David with a spear. And then four times we see Saul sent assassins to kill David. So if you count, that's nine times in three years. Uh, no wonder why David was feeling the pressure of the persecution of Saul. And we, we must acknowledge that Saul was unsuccessful each time, but it wasn't because he wasn't trying. It was because of the hand, the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was protecting uh, David. The Lord had anointed David to be the next king, and he had not only anointed him, but gifted him with his spirit to empower him both for life and for the kingship that he had handed over to David. It was just a matter of time that it would be it would be brought to fruition. So he we see the Lord protecting David uh, and rejecting Saul. But it, even though with the Lord's protection, we see that there is a burden on David. That, that this burden was heavy, and through the years, it started to grow. So much so that in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, David said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, he's speaking to Jonathan here, he says, There is but a step between me and death. We talked about how David felt this dread. I explained it as the dread of, of death. But amid the shadow of death, the Lord would show David the greatness of his faithfulness. Uh, And and it's awesome to see it displayed in Scripture. Little did David know this was only the beginning, though. This would be uh, many years of persecution from Saul. And there would be much more that he would have to endure. But one thing that we see is that as long as Saul persecutes David, the Lord's presence is there as well, protecting David. So today I want to teach on the faithfulness of the Lord. And... Not just like his faithfulness, but his faithfulness to you. Uh, Those who have have received his son as Lord and Savior. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You are God's covenant people. And God has made a promise to all of you that he will be faithful to you. And that he will fulfill his promises for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. See, like with David, the Lord never leaves us, nor does he ever fail us. Because great is his faithfulness. So may the Lord give us wisdom to understand, a conviction to change our mind, and also courage to obey his word as we should. Um, Looking at our passage today, the one thing I want us to see is Jonathan's faithfulness to his friend David. And we're going to look at how Jonathan's faithfulness to his friend how that equates to the Lord being faithful to David and ultimately how the Lord is faithful to us every single day. See the Lord's faithfulness to David is extremely evident in Jonathan's faithfulness to his friend. When you look at Jonathan and David's relationship, it does not make sense. It's a relationship that shouldn't have been as strong as it, as it was. I even think maybe it's a relationship that shouldn't have been. If they were looking at each other from an earthly standpoint, Jonathan should have been either afraid of David or he should have been jealous of David, something. Because David, in, in all sense of the word, he was threatening their, his, his kingdom, his father's kingdom and also his kingdom. But yet God brought them together and used Jonathan to protect David. And it's a beautiful thing to see. David and Jonathan's friendship was established with a covenant and that's very important. The word covenant and, and, and this covenant agreement, we see it several times. Turn your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 18. I want to read verses 3 and 4. This is where the covenant is first mentioned. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So there we see the mentioning of the covenant for the very first time between uh, David and Jonathan. And as a sign of humility, Jonathan removes his battle gear and gives it to David. And we would see that this would be the beginning of, of, of a friendship that should be modeled by, by it all. This is a, a, a true and wonderful friendship where uh, they have love for one another. Jonathan would remain steadfast in helping David. Then we see the covenant mentioned again. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8. Actually, the first part of verse uh, verse 8. It says, therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. This is David and Jonathan talking again, reminding each other of this covenant that they made together. And part of this covenant agreement was for them to deal peaceably with one another. In other words, they were to be Good, gracious and faithful to know to one another as 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 friends, good, gracious and faithful. I I, I love that description because I think that's I know that's what God has called us to be to one another. Right. As friends in the Lord, Uh, we have a covenant as well. And I'll get to that here in a minute. But we are to be good, gracious and faithful to one another. Now, the covenant is mentioned again, if you caught it, in our one of our verses in our passage. Look at verse 16. It says, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Now, this is not three different covenants. This is all one covenant. And again, they're reminding each other of this agreement that they have. So we can say that their friendship was based on this covenant to protect one another and We know a covenant is a promise by two different parties. Each party has a responsibility in that covenant. We also see that another part of this covenant was that the Lord would take vengeance on David's enemies. So their covenant meant that they would love and help one another against their enemies. That plain and simple, if I had to uh, just generalize it for you, that's what I think the covenant stood for. Now, think about this, though. You have Jonathan, who's the son of the current king. He's making a covenant with David. David, in in, in Saul's eyes, uh, David is his ultimate enemy. So Jonathan, the prince, if you will, is making a covenant with the king's enemy. Even though David doesn't see Saul as his enemy, David sees Saul as his friend. Saul sees David in a different light. And remember what I just said about the covenant. Part of the covenant was for the Lord to take vengeance on David's enemies. Now you can see here as we're reading through this passage, Jonathan doesn't really understand David's uh, his, his attitude, or Saul's attitude towards David. He really doesn't understand his father's attitude towards David. In fact, he thinks, nah, I don't think there's anything wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, I'll check for you. Basically is what he tells David. But Their covenant agreement meant that they would help one another against their enemies. Here in this case, Jonathan is helping David against his own father. Because Saul was David's enemy, so that meant that Jonathan would have to help him stand against his father. And that's why the covenant agreement is mentioned as often as it is in these chapters. As the persecution of Saul upon David worsens, the covenant is further enacted by these two men. And that's what we're seeing in the pages of Scripture. So jumping to our passage, we see that David comes to Jonathan for help. Jonathan thinks of a plan to test Saul's disposition towards David. Basically, here's the plan. Jonathan says, you know what? I'm going to bring up your name at the dinner table. Isn't that where things are usually discussed between families, right? That's where you uh, kind of get a feeling for how things are going. I remember as a kid... If I had anything to say or anything to ask, I'd bring it up at the dinner table and see how that went. If it weren't going too good, I'd just drop it then. It wasn't worth worth bringing up anymore. So you kind of get a sense of everybody's happy. That's the best time to ask, right? Because everybody's happy. They're eating. It's mostly at the end of the day, and that's usually the best time to ask. So we kind of see this is what Jonathan is doing. He's going to bring up David's name at the dinner table. If Saul spoke ill of David, then Jonathan would warn David to flee. If not, then he would basically say, no, you can stay. Now, it's safe to say that Jonathan didn't expect for his father's anger to be against him. He was quite surprised by that. When Jonathan tested his father, Saul replied, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. For as long as the son of Jesse lives, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. That that was the, the very first thing that his father told him. Brought his mother into the conversation. She wasn't even there. You know, she gets blamed for stuff and she wasn't even there. Then Jonathan, then, then, oh, then nothing could prepare him, could prepare Jonathan for what came next. Uh, Jonathan pressed his father, basically said, why are you persecuting David? Why are you after him? He's done nothing to you. Saul threw a spear at him to strike him. That's how angry he was. Not only with David, but now with Jonathan, because he's he's figured out, oh, you're trying to help my greatest enemy. And we see uh, the motive behind it. It's, it's nothing that David has done. He just sees David as a threat to the kingdom and he doesn't want to lose his place, even though he's been rejected by God. He's been told he's been rejected by God, but yet he still wants to go about his business the way he wants to. And he wants to leave the kingdom to his son, so he sees David as a threat. So then that's when Jonathan knew that Saul was a true enemy of David. And based on their covenant he made with his friends, his friend he knew that the Lord sooner or later would strike his father down. And I think that's why he got so upset and walked off, because he finally realized I made this covenant with my friend. I love my friend. And now I'm going to have to help my friend against my own father. See, it's amazing that the Lord compelled Jonathan to take allegiance with David instead of his own father. Jonathan's allegiance to David was detrimental to his relationship with his father. Uh, We see that his father tried to kill him, but it was it was detrimental to his own political future. Again, it just didn't make sense. There had to have been something behind that, right? Something divine behind that. He was forfeiting his promised throne because he recognized God's sovereign choice in David. In other words, he recognized the hand of the Lord moving. He saw that God's will was different than Saul's will. And he stayed committed to David. But I'd like to think that he stayed committed to the Lord above everything else. Because that's where he saw the Lord moving. That's how the Lord had compelled his heart. To stay true and faithful to his friend. Even though he was going to have to be standing up for his friend against his father. The hands of the Lord in orchestrating these things to come to pass, it shows us two things at least. First of all, uh, the main thing it shows us is his faithfulness. But displayed through his awesome power, but then also think about this, also through ordinary means. Ordinary means, because uh, we can't deny his awesome power and what the Lord has done in the life of David. I, David had the strength as a youth. He was just described as somebody who was good looking. He wasn't this mighty warrior like Jonathan. And the Lord, through his awesome power, had him kill Goliath. He had him kill the lion and the bear. All of a sudden, when the Lord's spirit came upon him, he he had this strength that he didn't have before. So we see the awesome power displayed. But what's, what's for me, what's even more encouraging is seeing God's Faithfulness displayed to David through ordinary means. I think for us today, that's, that, that speaks to us. I'm not denying God's awesome power because it's still at work today. In fact, that's how we come to Christ. We can't do it. We can't, I, you can't do it for me. I can't do it for you. It takes divine power for us to come to know the Lord. And his power is being displayed in an awesome way when that happens. Also, when the Lord decides to heal us of our iniquities. There are some who have been mightily healed by the Lord. And it's awesome to see that because it just builds our faith. And we just praise the Lord for that. We all have a testimony like that, where the Lord has moved mightily in our lives. But think about this that is not the norm. Many times we have to go through and wonder, where is the Lord? Many times we have to go through what we're going through. Sometimes there is no healing on this side of heaven. There's always healing in the Lord on the other side. But sometimes there is none on this side, and we're wondering, like, where is the faithfulness of the Lord? The faithfulness of the Lord is displayed through ordinary means. Let me explain this. First of all, how great is the faithfulness of God? Well, Psalm 25.10 says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and, for his, and his testimonies. Also, Psalm 31.5 says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Psalm 36.5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. And then Psalm 40, 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will always preserve me. Now, I picked those because obviously they speak about God's faithfulness, but it was David that penned these Psalms. And many more describing the faithfulness of God to him. But I want you to guess something. Guess when he began to write these psalms. I gave you some dates last week, and I said 1019 B.C. is when Saul started to persecute uh, uh, David. Well, the earliest writings from David started in, historians think started in uh, 1020 B.C., which is just about a year after everything started for him. It was around the time when he was enduring, David was enduring Saul's persecution. Notice that David is not singing Jonathan's praises in these psalms. You would think he would because Jonathan was his best friend. Jonathan was faithful to him. But David's not seeing that. He's not singing about that. He he didn't say all the paths of Jonathan are steadfast love and faithfulness. He also didn't say, Jonathan, your steadfast love extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. No, what did he say? He said, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. I don't know if you connect the dots, but Jonathan, or or David is praising God for his faithfulness to him through his best friend, through ordinary means, an ordinary person. This companionship that they have. And it's not only restricted or or, or only for Jonathan, because Jonathan would soon, spoiler alert, Jonathan is going to die. As we leave 1 Samuel, we're going to see that. But yet the Lord's faithfulness continues to David. It's not just based on Jonathan's presence. Because the Lord is everywhere. And he has no limitations to the way he can minister to us. So, no, David is not singing Jonathan's praises in these psalms, but rather the Lord's. That's because Jonathan understood that ultimately it was the Lord who was preserving his life. See, God's perfect faithfulness to his covenant people is found through both extraordinary, which I've already described to you, and ordinary means. But first, when we talk about extraordinary, I want to describe furthermore, God's faithfulness to us is found in the life, the death and resurrection of Christ. That, that's extraordinary. I know many, you know, there might be some people who don't see that as extraordinary. I hope as a Christian you do, because there is no way, no other way that you could have been saved So that is extraordinary, the life, the death, and resurrection of Christ. Christ is the basis of the covenant that God has made with his people. Listen to this out of Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That is extraordinary. That we sinners like you and I would be saved by the creator and set aside for for his service. I mean, we celebrate that today because of Easter, but as a Christian, we need to celebrate that not only every Sunday, but every single day. See, God has made a covenant with us, just like David and Jonathan had a covenant. The covenant that God has made with us, well, it's the fulfillment of God's purposes of salvation. All of those that were expressed in the covenants of the Old Testament. This covenant that we have with God, it is a covenant of grace. And the benefits of this covenant include forgiveness, a renewed relationship with God and through the Holy Spirit, An inward transformation that enables obedience to its demands and so ensures that we will not, that it will not again be broken. Just like David and Jonathan had a covenant that they would remain friends forever, we have a covenant with God that we will remain his people forever. And we did everything we could to try to destroy that covenant and God did all that he needed to keep that covenant with us. And we are friends with God forever. So then, therefore, his faithfulness to us stands forever. Now, God is faithful to us in ways we do not recognize. This is the ordinary means. He, is, he faithfully equips us and sustains us for the Christian life. He does this by what the confession says, upholding, directing, arranging and governing all creatures and things from the greatest to the least by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. That's how he does it. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, there is no doubt that God uses people to faithfully minister to us. I hope that the person sitting next to you or close to you, maybe behind you, I hope they're proof of that, that God uses people to faithfully faithfully minister to us. But God has arranged it that they minister to us through ordinary means. What What do I mean by that? Well, there is the word. The word teaches us. It commands us, it guards us, it convicts us, it nourishes us, and it spurns change of the head and of the heart. I could go on describing the word, but in general, that's what it does. God has given us his word to do all of that. In his word is his faithfulness. If we ever want to wonder where God is, seek him in his word. Also, the sacraments. The sacraments unite us, encourage us, they remind us of the grace of God and give us hope of a better future. How many of you have been encouraged in the middle of the sacraments or the ordinances? You should be because God is reminding you of what he's done for you, but that he will come back and he will take you where he is at. And then how about prayer? Prayer is everything to us. It's our lifeline. It's comfort. It's peace. It's trust. It's our refuge. It's where we gain our strength. It's where we get our hope and our power. See, these are all ordinary means. The word, the sacraments, prayer. Maybe you're going through something right now, and or maybe you've gone through something in the past, and you say, God, where, where are you? Where are you in my trouble? And you think, he hasn't shown himself to be faithful to me. Like, Pastor, I can't really relate to you right now because I feel like God has abandoned me. Well, I will ask you, have you consistently sought after him in his word, in the sacraments, and also in prayer? Because God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His spirit is in us and he has set up ways to minister to us that should be able to give us what we need for life and godliness. The the, the question is, are we looking in the right places? We as Christians, when we go through trouble, are we going to his word? Are we uniting ourselves with the body of Christ and taking full advantage of the ordinances? Are we people who are praying constantly because we know we need the Lord? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we lack in each one of those areas. And it's easy for us to see why we're wondering where the Lord Lord is. When it comes to our everyday lives, we're like, "Where, where is he? It's because we're not seeking him in the right places. Now, to complement the means of grace, these ordinary means, God executes the outworking of these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. I I, I do not want to deny that these things are are, are made powerful to us because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through those things. So we do not. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary that that the spirit of God is working through those things. But the wonderful and ordinary thing about it is that the Holy Spirit is working in vessels like you and I. I think that's amazing. I, I still scratch my head. I, I do not know why the Lord has called me to be a pastor and to preach his word. It, 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 it just, it's beyond me. And whatever God has called you to, you probably feel the same way. We're definitely not worthy. Somebody else could have done it and done it better, but yet it is the Lord who has chosen us to do this. What a privilege we have. What a privilege we have. When I think about this, this was never more evident to me than when I was in a hospital suffering with COVID. I think about how God ministered to me He did in extraordinary ways because he he took my ailment away. But also, through ordinary means, he ministered to me. The faithfulness of God was overwhelming through the encouragement of the word and of prayer. There were times where that's, that's, that's all I could do. Just try to remember some scripture. Read, pray, and hope. I got texts and calls from other people saying, we're praying for you. Even had Walter Jackson, who is our missions director, send me a text in the middle. It says, I'm in the parking lot right now praying for you. It just, just awesome. And that ministered to me so much. Word and prayer. But the cherry on top was the ordinances or the sacraments with you all. And that was wonderful. The power of of the message that his body was broken and his blood was spilled for me was so overwhelming that it brought me to tears the first time I came back and had the sacraments with the church. I sat there and wondered, how can a God who is so transcendent that he created the world and governs it with his providence be so imminent that he saved and healed a sinner like me? Beautiful. It was a reminder It was encouragement. And it was amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ. Us united. Us not focused on ourselves, but rather the furthering of of his kingdom, of us focused on worshiping God in spirit and truth. And the power and the presence of God was overwhelming. So for you, Christian, God's faithfulness to you in the good times, and also in bad, abounds through ordinary people and through ordinary means. And that's why I say God's faithfulness is seen morning by morning. See, it's wonderful to see in Scripture how God used Jonathan to display his faithfulness to David. After Jonathan died, God used others to take his place. There's encouragement in there for us concerning that fact. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. As Christians, we are called by God, number one, to be faithful. First and foremost, we are to be faithful to him as our creator. Secondly, we are to be faithful to each other. We see this summed up in the law, the first and greatest commandments to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and also to love one another as we love ourselves. That's how the Ten Commandments are divided up. Well, when you look at the New Testament, Paul, Peter, James, John and the rest of the apostles, look at what they taught. Look at what they proclaimed. They taught unity. They taught faithfulness to one another as part of their gospel. In response to God's faithfulness to us, their message to the church was we need to be faithful to one another. Now, the reason is because God's faithfulness to us is shown and experienced through his spirit ministering to the church by the church. That's why there is this this command in the New Testament for us to be faithful to one another. I don't know if you caught that, but God's spirit ministering to the church by the church. We have this awesome power that is working in us, through us, around us. A power that we cannot see. It is God in the spirit working in us. But yet he's using ordinary vessels to minister to one another. Ultimately, his faithfulness is displayed when we look at the cross. Especially today, when we look at the cross, the symbol of the cross shows us that God saved wretched sinners like us. His faithfulness is also further displayed with the symbol of the body of Christ. The church. That's why Jesus taught that the church is the body of Christ and he is the head. That is a wonderful symbol for us and a reminder for us that we need to be faithful to one another. As we are faithful to one another, we see God's faithfulness to us. We, as the body of Christ, we must minister to each other, not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but out of true worship of God. Now, conversely, we, as members of the body of Christ. We must find our refuge in the Lord. I I don't want us to get mixed up about that. Because remember, we are the vessels. Just like Jonathan was a vessel. When it came time for him to meet his maker, he was gone. And yet the Lord provided somebody else for David. There are people in our lives that will come and will go. And yet the faithfulness of the Lord remains. Even when we think it's all over, I, I can't live without this person, I can't go on. We see the faithfulness of the Lord remain. So our hope shouldn't be in each other. Our hope always remains in the Lord. We know that he will always be faithful. Look, look how awesome the Lord is. Even The Lord can remain faithful to you even when there is nobody around you. The Apostle John was exiled to an island all by himself. And yet the Lord remained faithful. The Lord does as he pleases. And you know what's awesome? The Lord pleases to work through you. Or it pleases the Lord to work through you. See, we as members of the body of Christ, we must find our refuge in the Lord. But we must see that he works through ordinary people and that he uses ordinary means to be faithful to us. The person in front of you, behind you, to the side of you. That is who God is using. It doesn't make sense for us to isolate ourselves. It doesn't make sense for us to not unite ourselves with the church. It doesn't make sense to push ourselves away from the body of Christ. Because when we do things like that, it's as if we are pushing the Lord away. See, the Lord, he is so great that he is above you. He is so gentle that he is in you. But he is also so gracious that he is all around you. So to see the faithfulness of the Lord, look above, look within, and look all around. And I guarantee you, brother or sister, you will see how faithful he has been to you. We are reminded of, when we think about faithfulness, we are reminded of the cross. The Lord paid it all for us. And for our sins to be forgiven. He was faithful then and he will remain faithful now. It's, it's, it's kind of odd how we can look at the cross and we'll say yes thank you for being faithful and forgiving my sins. But then let me give just a, a really bad example. We have this bill to pay and we don't know how it's going to be paid. And we think oh the Lord was faithful in, at the cross but he's not going to be faithful in helping me with this. Or let me give you a better example. How about a serious health issue? You're like thinking, oh, the Lord was faithful at the cross, but can he help me with this health condition that I have? Can he help me with this broken heart that I have? Can he help me with this lack of faith that I have? The Lord, he is faithful and he can do all things. He can help you with any problem that you have. I pray that you look for him in his word, that you enjoy his presence in the sacraments, and that you you pray to him without ceasing. And that also that you look to one another and find the refuge of the Lord in the touch of a brother or a sister. I want to end my sermon with a poem that I wrote. I don't know what the Lord is doing with me with these poems, but I was looking at Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. And this one, um, I, I was just preparing my sermon and I saw that passage and all of a sudden I just, I just felt compelled to write something. And I wrote this and I've been working on it for several days. And um, anyway, I, I want to use this as an illustration to hope bring everything together as I have what I said today. Uh, this poem is entitled Morning by Morning. It says, wonderfully and fearfully made, you work, live, laugh and cry. Ever before you are the questions of how and when you must die. Between birth and death, you exist in a world stained by sin. It's a burden that weighs on you and a struggle of faith and flesh therein. Through the suffering of life's calamities, you may endure dread and fear, but take heart. The Lord is not too far from you that he cannot hear. Through the summits and valleys, strong and courageous you must be, for the Lord has promised to never forsake you, but to remain faithfully. Morning by morning, he has shown this to be true. For his grace, mercy, and faithfulness, he continually renews. As you strain toward the horizon with all hope in the Lord, know that he is ever steadfast and that he has already prepared your reward. Let us pray.